Hello and welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your one of your hosts, Philip Matthew. We're getting connected with the co-host, Josh Afin. Once he gets on, we'll be discussing a lot about Darlington here and uh, the return of NASCAR officially to the real deal instead of the online online uh, sim racing situation. So that'll be good to see live racing again uh, this Sunday. There won't be any uh, qualifying or practice. So for guys like Matt Kenseth, who hasn't raced in over a year, uh, it'll be interesting. Hey, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing good, Phil. I'm doing great. All right, so I just kind of opened it up, uh, talking about, I guess, briefly what we're going to be discussing. I, I talked about the return of uh, NASCAR at Darlington. We'll also be going over what happened earlier in the season and who who won, who's up in the points, and stuff like that, along with some of the new teams that are showing up this weekend and for the next few races and what that kind of means relative to what has gone on, charters. Along with all of that, we'll go into a little bit of the Xfinity in a truck series because they'll be making a return at Charlotte, I mean, at Darlington with Xfinity trucks will return at Charlotte. Brett Moffitt being a big uh, beneficiary along with uh, Ryan Newman um, after the injuries they suffered. Uh, one at the racetrack and one away from the racetrack. And then also about the return itself and uh, COVID-19 and what we have to look for and what are some of the concerns. So the first piece is going back in a cup. A recap of the season so far in 2020. Of course, they stopped at Las Vegas. And the winner will just go over the Winners so far, Denny Hamlin took down his third Daytona 500 at, uh, in February after a last lap accident that involved uh, Ryan Newman, who was on his way to winning the race, and Ryan Blaney. Uh, Blaney finished second that day. Uh, Ryan Newman, of course, had a serious accident that um, he was luckily able to walk out of the hospital and... Uh, be able to, you know, now be in a position to return after only missing three races. And Las Vegas saw Joey Logano win. He won two of the four races with his new crew chief, Paul Wolf, formerly with, um, Brad Keselowski. With Brad Keselowski. Yep. And that Fontana was Alex Bowman driving the 88 car in a contract year, a dominant car at Fontana. It was uh, really it was really no joke. He was the best car that day. And uh, so with that, those were the winners. There was only four races. They were at they were planning on going to Atlanta before yeah, there's yeah, in Phoenix, Joey Logano won. And at the they were at they were going to Atlanta. They had to call it off because of COVID nineteen. And then we are where we're at, where we're going to be at Darlington on Sunday for a 400 mile or first time they've run 400 miles at Darlington, 
uh, probably since 2002, I would assume, uh, or, or not 2002. They were running 400 mile races prior to, yeah, they once, yeah, 2004 when Jimmy Johnson won at, uh, in, in March, the last time they had two races. So that'll be interesting. And they have two basically 400 mile races, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of what we saw earlier in the season, uh, Josh? And what are you thinking we will see coming back here uh, this weekend at, at Darlington in terms of who should stand out? Well, I mean, Daytona was kind of, it's always the, the wreck fest that it is. And I, yeah. I went to that race in person and actually went both days. So I saw the first 20 laps and then I came back for the last uh, 100 laps. And that was a interesting finish with uh, Ryan Newman flipping, but I'm not surprised with the winner. Denny Hamlin's uh, probably the best restrictor plate racer in the last uh, three or four years, I would say. Uh, yep. But now that we've gone past the restrictor plate track and kind of onto the so-called real schedule, as they say in NASCAR, I think it's yeah. probably going to be a battle between Denny Hamlin, um, maybe uh, Joey Logano, uh, and some of the other guys probably, I mean, I would, I would probably put in, uh, Chase Elliott or Alex Bowman, one of those guys. Cause I, I think, um, Hendrick's going to, um, surprise some people. They've been off the last probably three or four seasons. And I think they're starting to make some huge gains this year. And you kind of saw that with the way Alex Bowman dominated, uh, Fontana. And I think if they didn't have the caution at, uh, Las Vegas the last couple of laps in that race and didn't go to overtime. I think Alex Bowman probably uh, would have had a really good shot at winning that race. But I think going forward, it's going to be probably the same. It may be a little bit different, especially with uh, these six or seven races that they're going to do during the um, starting this Sunday and then the midweek race and then going to Charlotte and then doing the midweek race there and so on. Probably going to be the same. Yeah, I just go over the points briefly. Kevin Harvick had the points lead uh, coming in, uh, coming out of Phoenix. He was one point ahead of Joey Logano, who had won two races and had uh, the 10 playoff points. Uh, Harvick had the lead. Uh, he had basically the stage win that he had uh, this earlier this year. Chase Elliott, winner of three stages so far this year, is third in points, 20 points back. Alex Bowman, fourth. And Jimmy Johnson, fifth in what still, at least what we know, will be his final season in the Cup Series. Ryan Blaney was sixth. Recently fired Kyle Larson was seventh. But they'll still keep the owner points. That isn't going to change. So that'll be a benefit to Matt Kenseth, who has taken over his ride. Um, may not be a benefit based on what he said on the download. It may not be a benefit for guys like Eric Almirola, Matt Benedetto, Brad Keselowski, who are around him. But you know, I think Matt Kenseth will be all right. And uh, those are the next three guys in the in the top ten in points. And you know, you talk about cutoffs because you know that's what it is. There's 16. Kurt Busch was on the cutoff, two points ahead of Stenhouse. Oh, Richard, uh, as I used to. We used to call him on some of the other shows I was on, and uh, Bubba Wallace and William Byron are tied in 18th. So 
those are the points after four races. I mean, the thing you have to look at is with with Darlington, one of the most challenging tracks they go to, period, on, on any given season, just running the Southern 500, which has been the way they've been doing uh, once they moved it back to September in 2015. There was always a challenge with that race, and but now there's more there's more to it, you know, with the no practice, no qualifying, going to Darlington after two months away is going to definitely be interesting. I would say, based on recent history, I would look at Toyotas because you consider in the last seven races, only twice has a non-Toyota won at at Darlington, of course, the winner at the Southern 500 last year was Eric Jones. Uh, the two non-winners were Kevin Harvick in 2014, back then in a Chevy for Stuart Haas, and Brad Keselowski in uh, Penske Ford, who beat uh, Kyle Larson that night when they had a bad pit stop. Uh, hopefully, they may have fixed some of those things so they don't give Matt Kenseth bad pit stops. Uh, I would say the Toyotas are going to be some the ones to look at in the Joe Gibbs cars. Uh, Kyle Busch, of course, probably chomping at the bit to win. Uh, you know, Hamlin's always been good at Darlington. I think Darlington, he was the first race he ever ran in Xfinity cars at Darlington. He finished top 10, which put him in, you know, on, the eyes on him and gave him an opportunity uh, to run full-time in Xfinity the following year. And you have Martin Truex, who won a couple of years ago there at Darlington and Southern 500 in a 78 car. And then you have Eric Jones, a defending winner of the Southern 500. So, and then Chris Bell, who, who ran relatively well in his couple of appearances at Darlington as well. So you, those are the five main Toyotas. I would say that they'd be the ones to look at, but of course, Kevin Harvick. You can never count them out of tracks like this. The Penske cars will be uh, up there too. In what do you think, Josh, in terms of who benefits the most from the no practice and qualifying? And the only race where they're going to have qualifying is the 600. Otherwise, all the other three races that Cup is going to be running will have no practice, no qualifying. They came up with the setup for how the Races are going to be lined up, but what do you think? Who do you think is going to it's going to work out best for? Well, it's probably going to be the big money teams like Penske and Gibbs uh, and Stuart Haas, like the drivers that you mentioned, just because they have the most resources available to them, and they'll be able to uh, make the best uh, setup for for their cars, and they had probably have access to all the uh, simulators that they have. That they can run and just uh, get used to uh, their, you know, whatever setup that they have uh, for each of their cars. And you know, either way, even if they did have qualifying, those would st those teams would still be the uh, best teams out there, anyways. So I don't really think much will change, and it will probably even swing further to the side of the uh, those teams. Yeah, and that's something we're going to talk about here in a little bit also about some of the, the lower-funded efforts. Uh, that'll come up in a conversation not only for Cup, but all three series. Uh, the, I mean, I agree the 
the teams, the simulator time, you know, you had Will Byron sitting in a simulator, you had all these teams are now back, the engineering. Now, here's where the engineers who have poss- probably made, in a way, the racing get away from, you know, actual driving talent and more into an engineering science. No, of course. But, you know, making it more about aero and things like that, where it's similar to Formula One, it's going to be on them to really make sure these cars get off the truck fast. There always used to be the thing all the way back, you know, for me going back to 93 as a full-time fan, where if you got off the truck fast and some usually that meant a really good weekend. And that's always been the case in a, in a way, but there, the practices and things maybe can go off a different way. There's always been changes with practices and qualifying. There's something to be said about getting off the truck fast. And now more than ever, at least for this next couple of weeks, having a car that's good immediately is going to really set the tone because they have these weird procedures like you're talking or they have they're going to have point draw like pill draws for qualifying then they're going to have the in terms of the cautions they're going to have yeah, the weird pit stop the, procedure yeah they're going to have weird pit stop procedure they're going to have a lap 30 competition yellow and so everybody's going to come in of course they're going to pit every time they can with tires i don't know how many sets of tires are going to have that'll be an interesting thing They'll have the reading the modified competition caution procedures. Field will be frozen at the time of competition caution. Field will assemble behind the pace car. Running order lead lap lap down will be established in the free pass sent. No wave around. Top 20 cars will be let in to the pits. Car must beat the pace car off to retain freeze position. So they won't lose positions or gain positions on pit road it's based on you just have to make sure you can get your car out before the pace car comes around so you basically have a lap to pit your car and then the next 20 cars and they're going to basically do two laps of this first 20 goes first and then the back 20 and then they're going to do it again so i guess there's cautions are going to be probably about seven eight laps something like that uh based on realigning the field uh, due to these caution, at least with the modified competition yellow. After that, after that, they'll go back to regular pit rules. So that'll be interesting. Um, but when you read the when you read the rule, Josh, what were you thinking in terms of at least the modified competition yellow, and then the changes in terms of qualifying and how they're going to basically settle positions for starting position. Well, the modified competition caution, uh, I actually didn't understand it until you meant like how you explained it just now, because I wasn't sure what they meant by um, uh, how how they beat the pace car. Because yeah, I, I, I didn't know, like, I don't know why I wasn't thinking like, oh, until the pace car comes around. So I thought maybe like the pace car would come down pit road. But no, that was, um, I don't know. It's very convoluted. Yeah. Honest. Because yeah. they say that the top twenty um, will be open, and then you know they they're doing that to maintain social distancing between the two groups, and then it seems like it will be open to the next twenty, but then top twenty um, can come down again, 
it seems like on the next lap. Uh, but the the pill draw for qualifying is going to be interesting, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be like completely randomized because you know they're they're doing it in stages. You know the the top twelve and then next twelve and so on. Um, so it, yeah. it doesn't seem like you know that would be too crazy because it's probably going to be about probably about what normal qualifying would be anyways. Just yeah. um, some because I know there are some teams that aren't in the top twelve that. Um, can qualify good on you know on a good day like William Byron and you know um, other drivers like that. But I think for the most part, uh, the qualifying order um, won't be too different from what uh, it normally is when they have regular qualifying. Yeah, the qualifying based on this weekend isn't going to be too is going to be straightforward. I would agree. Uh, the going into like Xfinity, they set their pits by the previous race that they ran. So that's not as big or based on Phoenix quali- on the previous race qualifying. And then I think trucks do the same, same thing. Plus, yeah, they do the same thing. And then they do uh, the random, the random draw for the first race. And then they're going to do like an invert of after that so xfinity will do an invert of the top 20 and cup as well from the top 20 of the race on sunday for the 600 and then they will go and do the 21 through 40 invert plus any entries new entries but who knows how many that's one thing that we'll talk about here in a moment in terms of how many cars really show up anymore Pit selection will be based on finishing position, which is fine. I mean, I think that might be the new way. I came from a time when initially when I watched the defending series champion had the number one pit stall for an entire year. That was one of the perks of winning the series championship. No matter how bad you qualified, Nurnhart wasn't a great qualifier. Even he had his moments, but he wasn't a great qualifier at times. And he had, he still had the number one pit stall. Or, and now it it makes a benefit to actually winning races. You know, they to want to talk about how winning means everything, and that's the thing. Now, if you actually win, you guarantee yourself the number one pit stall, no matter where you draw or whatever. You're going to end up starting twentieth the next week, but still, you're going to have the number one pit stall, so it's not such a big deal. Uh, some of the other stuff, yeah, I mean, that modified competition yellow, I didn't get it either at first, and I'm looking at it again, and I'm like, basically, you're going to have the pits open for four laps, two laps for the top 20, two laps for the uh, the second 20. I don't know how, I mean, the reality is, how are you going to go and control the social distancing aspect within the pit road when the way the pit road lays out. Uh, I think, I don't know who had the, the pit, the, the pit lineup or pit layout for this weekend's race. And was talking about it, but I swear somebody was talking, I saw it on Twitter earlier, but, uh, I mean, in terms of, Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, um, the pit stalls, in terms of Darlington, so they got it. The 43rd pit stall is eliminated. Kevin Harvick's got the number one pit stall. In terms of openings, 
We have Clint, uh, Chase Elliott and uh, Joey Logano will have openings either behind or in front. Then you have Eric Almirola and Alex Bowman have an opening. And then Clint Boyer and Matt Benedetto. Denny Hamlin has two pit spots, actually, because there's an opening and an empty pit, pit box. And then Matt Kenseth will have an open, en- open exit for himself. Jimmy Johnson will have an open entry. So those are the best pit, pit positions. Those are based on points. And uh, so then for them, they're in a good position. Some of the other guys, I think uh, Kurt Busch, yeah, that's who it was. Kurt Busch was talking about it, looking at the layout, because he's like, oh, well, more than likely I'll be able to have either an open entry or an open exit or both because of who he's around, which is Ty Dillon and Michael McDowell, and I do agree with him on that. Uh, I mean, in terms of the, that's why, like, when I'm looking at the layout of the pits, you look at the Gibbs guys, like Kyle Busch is going to have an open entry or open exit and an open entry. So is Denny Hamlin. The you look at Jimmy Johnson, who's been running well this year. You got Di Benedetto, who's had a, a surprise, a very solid start to his career in the twenty-one car. Who's going to have an open exit and an open open entry and exit? That's a good deal for him. Martin Truex is going to have an open exit. You go and. Because that's one of the things you always look at. Like for me as a fantasy, I don't know if you play fantasy NASCAR, Josh, but I look at that in in terms of the fantasy side. Like we, I'm thinking about it on the you know COVID side in terms of actually having spacing, but it also helps in terms of the things about a race because pit road really matters everywhere, but a place like Darlington, it really does matter, and. Um, I got to say, it's going to be something to see what these pit stops look like. If it's going to be like what we've always known, per se, or if it's going to look like Keystone Cops. But I guess we'll find out for sure on Sunday. The next thing we're going to discuss is the new teams uh, who, the, who are showing up. The Rick Ware Racing uh, convoluted situation that's going on because it, it basically connects to the whole charter deal. It's basically a rant, which I would go off on in terms of Rick Ware being a scumbag businessman and snake oil salesman, like certain people that are in spots of power. Basically, I'm going to go and read uh, what uh, Bob Pockris wrote in terms of he spoke to Rick Ware. He bought the number 15, which was being raced by, uh, what's his name? What the heck am I forgetting his name? Uh, 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 wasn't it? Oh, I forgot to. Um, well, I know who the 27 was. Brennan Poole, yeah. So he bought Brennan Poole, the team that the, Premium Motorsports, Jay Robinson's 15, and added the 52 car was his, 
The 51, when you look at the 51 car, it's called Pettyware Racing. So it's Petty. It's connected to the RPM 44 when uh, Brian Scott, if you want to go that far back, that's where that charter came from when they started the charters. Petty was given two. He kept one. He sold off, the meaning Andy Merstein sold off one or leased one to Rick Ware, which is a 51. The 52 was his. Supposedly, I don't know where the machinations of that. I'd have to go on JSKI and truly figure out the. Yeah, there you go. That's going to be the. Yeah, so the 52 is. Was the 38. Was originally the 38 front row motorsports car, then leased to TriStar Motorsports, which then sold it to Rick Ware. Okay. There you go. So, of course, he didn't have it. So, you have the fifth. Now, the 15 and the 52 are his charters. The 52 has now been changed to number 27 due to sponsorship. He's going to have Gray Galding in the car with Panini uh, trading cards at uh, the Coca Cola 600 in a couple weeks. Then you're going to have the 51 and the 53 are leases that Rick Ware has. The 77 is basically run by, by Rick Ware Racing, the Spire car, which once upon a time was the charter that was uh, front um, Furniture Row Racing connected to Martin Truex Jr. winning the championship and Barney Visser who get ran, got ran out of the sport by uh, Reverend Gibbs. So there's that was so basically right now you count one, two, three, four, five cars, and then Tommy Baldwin Racing is making a return this weekend, and he's going to be running a limited schedule with at least this weekend running with Josh Balicki of uh, Dinner with Racers. He runs Dinner with Racers races there, and he runs Xfinity. And the number 78, which will be B.J. McLeod, who has ran for Rick Ware. He has his own Xfinity effort. In a sense, those two cars, they're housed in the McLeod shop, which used to be Tommy Baldwin's shop. Long story short, in terms of the non-chartered teams, there's a lot of stuff going on. And it's interesting when you consider... You know, some of the stuff that happened at the end of the season at Homestead specifically. Uh, you know, I I personally am not a fan of Rick Ware Racing and for many reasons. The first of which is I think he's a scumbag and he was a start and park special team. Now you can't start and park anymore, so they just run around at half throttle and they're just in the way. You bring in drivers that bring in some semblance of money but are not really that good. You know, like how Garrett Smithley is great on a sim but doesn't know how to look in his own mirror and has caused multiple accidents and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe fixes that. I don't know if that'll be the case. Uh, BJ McLeod, you know, God bless him. He's putting money in the sport and he's trying. And what the, the one thing is, I, I guess... 
what I'm thinking, Josh, is what what are we gonna see? Like, do you do you, what do you expect? Like, do you believe? Do you think that there will be an effect from one of those cars? Do you think they will affect the actual finish of the race, like how it used to be in some races, some big races, where a lap car could really determine what happens on Sunday? And will this become a thing along with? just the general discussion, which I'll get into in a moment after you say what you have to say. Oh, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, um, it seems like, you know, like he may just end up owning like the entire back half of the field when we're, when it's all said and done. But I, I don't really know like how it would affect, uh, you know, outside of just being slow lap cars in the way that, you know, if they, you know they get in the way then they'll affect the race but i it just seems like it it could be a a wild card in a sense i'm not i don't know i I don't really have a a whole lot of thought on that to be honest well what when you hear like when i went through that whole convoluted thing about how rick ware has what amounts to five cars and theoretically is connected to seven cars in a field of 40 cars. And when you think about how many years ago it was when they set up the whole charter thing, where 36 charters and it, even going back before that, I don't know, when like when did you start like really getting into the sport so I can go and connect it? Well, I mean, I know about like they, I know in 2005 they put that four-team cap, right? And, yeah, that was because yeah. Hendrick cried about um, Roush making all all five of his teams making the yeah. playoffs. And Jeff, no, I, I know about that, that. Yeah. and yeah, I mean, I know about like the charter system and all that, but uh, it's I mean, it's like it's a throwback, I guess, to like when when half or not half the field, but you know when there was like five or six cars had JD Stacy's uh, yeah. name on the back of the the car, and if yeah. you want to go back. 60 years ago when or 70 years ago actually when it was um that one dude um carl kickifer or whatever his name was um yeah like 10 cars i mean it's it's pretty shady because i i think you know if, if there's still that 14 uh rule like you should only own four or up to four cars in the field and if you're like if there's a way to tie your name to uh seven cars at least, or however many cars there is, that it seems like to me that um, maybe NASCAR needs to step in and say, "Hey, like you're you're doing too much, and uh, you, you should only have up to X amount of cars. And if these cars aren't even going to be competitive anyways, then um, you know we don't, you know, we don't want uh, you affecting the competition." Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I that's exactly what I feel. I mean, when it comes to it's fine. If, if Rick Ware just like all these other people that are in the sport trying to own teams and he used to race a car and many years ago and his son races and all like I get all of that. I mean, even Rick Ware's connected in terms of the Asian Le Mans series and his son drives that prototype and they're going to be able to drive a Le Mans later this year. I mean, it kind of shows how bad the Asian Le Mans series is, but that's beside the point. 
I thought, I mean, when you consider how they've retracted the, the field in, I mean, it's part to do with the, the 2008 and I mean, even prior to that, when the economy crashed, then the, I can only imagine what it's going to look like after this really ends um, because it hasn't ended. And that's a whole discussion in its own right. When you consider that there's 36 cars that have to show up to every race to get whatever money they're getting, it's similar to IndyCar's leader circle. I mean, they have their their um, uh, leader circle program, or I forget what they call it, but they have a program where basically they fund teams to show up every single race. And those are for full-time effort. So basically, the charter system is similar to that. They're connected to the money that they make from the TV and the tracks and all. And, of course, that's all going to get affected. It's similar to the F1 with the, the Concord agreement, but not a base. But that's a performance-based thing. They're all somewhat performance-based. But when you get down to this level where you're kind of cellar dwellers, the reality is Rick Ware can say he owns two charters now. Uh, the fact is he runs five cars. Uh, are they going to be competitive? The answer to that is outside of Talladega and Daytona, no. The BJ McLeod cars, generally, Tommy Baldwin is a proud guy. He's not going to go out there and make a fool out of himself, theoretically. Uh, B.J. McLeod's not going to try to make a fool out of himself, even if he isn't really that good. But they're not going to be on pace. Uh, the reference to, like, the J.D. Stacy or Warner Hodgden or insert sketchy businessman that ended up blowing themselves out of racing. You know, it, it's funny how NASCAR, when they, they... I mean, it's Rob Kaufman's making because he had to put up with MW55 being a fruit and not being a good businessman and he had to bail him out and then they ended up running three teams at one point and they were actually a good team Michael Waltrip Racing was uh, Clint Boyer when he actually could drive a race car finished second in points to Brad Keselowski in two, 2012 and then basically from 2013 on they started going down and cratering to where the spin gate happened and try basically ended Martin Truex for a couple of years and Clint Boyer's career went down the toilet and the 55 car was competitive at times. And the reason why the charter system w was supposed to be enacted was there was supposed to be value for the charter. When you consider that the 77 car right now is run by Rick Ware racing. And that used to be the furniture row 78. Barney Visser spent somewhere, I think, 15 years in the sport or somewhere around there building his team from the Xfinity Series to get to the pinnacle of Cup, to win the Cup Series championship. And every year they were basically making the final four with Martin Truex or in the final eight for whatever, four years in a row. And then he had to sell off because Joe Gibbs priced him out of the sport. And that the 77 is basically an also-ran. To me, shows that the, the charter system doesn't work. 
But then most of the systems that NASCAR has set up over years have never worked anyway. And when you're selling your charter for pennies on the dollar after you've made, you've done as much as what Barney Visser and that organization had, has done, I think it brings a black eye to the sport. But I think a lot of the things that NASCAR has done in recent years has made it very difficult to, to foresee other teams and other organ, other entities coming in because they've priced people out. And now with the Gen 7 car that's coming in, which is going to be like a certified, basically everything is certified at their R&D center. It's almost like IROC on steroids. And where are you going to make the money to try to go and get ahead of somebody else? They're even going to be in there. They won't even need 36 charters because there won't be enough people to afford the cost. Uh, that's uh, to me, it's, it's farcical. Uh, as Al Michaels would say, it's completely farcical and it's, it's a joke. And, for me as a fan of racing in general and also NASCAR, but it, you don't want to have a saturation of, you don't want to have a saturation of bad teams. You, you want to be able to have people that actually can, can perform and can actually do something. So it, it is, it is what it is, I guess. And, you know, we'll see what happens as the season goes on, as long as we're able to uh, get going with the season in more detail. Yeah. Um, well, just to, oh, sorry, I wanted to. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like to tangent off of that, like we talked about the points and stuff and it kind of does uh, go into the, I guess like it kind of speaks about the level of uh, competitive depth in the sport when you know, Ryan Newman has been out of the car since Daytona, and he's in 29th place in the point standings right now. And he's still, you know, we have that top 30 rule for the chase or the playoffs, and he doesn't really need to do anything, essentially. He just, I mean, yeah. if he's getting back in the car on Sunday, then, you know, or, or whenever he is going to get back in the car, then, you know, he's not going to have to do a, a whole bunch of work to maintain at least the top 30 spot because, you know, that's been a point of drama in the past uh, with um, uh, Tony Stewart and Kyle Busch, and they had to race to make the top 30. And the fact, I mean, granted, it's been a short season, but he's, you know, you know, he's not going to have to do anything. But the point of that is saying is because of uh, there, you know, there's not a lot of competitive depth once you get past like 25 or, you know, 28th place uh, on the, on the track. Uh, Cause yeah. you know, once you get, get back there, it's all the field fielders who are, just there, you know, to um, collect the points money from the charter. So that that's just um, a little tangent. I would tangent. I just wanted to throw in there. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, when it, it kind of brings up the point of how how far we really like, you think about sixteen drivers making this this playoff, this chase. It's too much. Um, I don't know what you think, but I it's too many. Yeah, uh, and now all the other sports are putting more teams in. I'm of the less is more. I like the reality is people don't like the playoffs. I'm no real great fan of the playoffs. As a fan of Tony Stewart, 
if it weren't for the playoffs, he wouldn't have won one championship. He he would have ended up like the 2011 championship he won because of the playoffs, and he would have lost the 2005 championship, uh, or if whatever, like it's reverse, something like that. Like because of the regular, if you had the full season championship, he won, but he didn't win the other way, or vice versa, and the other way around in 2011. And Brad won in 2012. I'm not sure. If Jimmy would have won. Like Jimmy Johnson, based on the old full season format, would be a three time champion. I think a lot more people would be able to deal with Jimmy Johnson than he's a seven time champion because of the playoff. Uh, the fa- and it goes down to where now they have 16 cars. That's too many. In the end, you need 12 cars in the playoff, and then it would actually be dramatic. It would be a little more interesting to me. Because Ryan Newman really needs to win a race to truly guarantee himself a chance in the playoff. I don't believe that he's going to be able to point himself, even with three races, I know it's only been three races, point himself from 29th to 16th. He needs to win. And it's the same thing with Matt Kenseth. It's fine that they make the top 30. It's great. But Tony Stewart wasn't going to get to the top 16. I don't think he did uh, before the before they got to uh, uh, the start of the playoffs. So the reality is, it's fine and well. You you're as long as you get to the top thirty, you need a win. So it's going to be interesting to see what both those guys do, and if they're a little more aggressive, or they're in Newman's case, he's very hard to pass in general. You know, Matt hasn't driven a car since the end of 2018. There's been a lot of changes. It's a Chevy for the first time in Cup for him. You know, what they will do to try to win, I don't know if we're going to see that here in this next bit, in this next couple of weeks. If they get through this next couple of weeks, no issues for the series, then we might see that as we go on further to whatever racetracks they may end up going to. But it's definitely a good point in terms of having to get into the top 30 and how deep really the field is. It's questionable to see, like people used to talk about the sport and how many cars could really win on a weekly basis. I would venture to say the days of saying like 20 to 25 cars could win on a weekly basis doesn't exist anymore. I think it's less than six, 15, 16 cars that really truly on a weekly basis can say that they could show up and have a chance to win. And that, that that's a product of the sport and how things change, but it also shows where the sport has gone relative to competitiveness and other things that have gone on. We'll change, we'll switch over to the Xfinity and the truck series, of course, they're not going to be coming back immediately. They'll be coming back early next week. But the Xfinity series had a few races during the uh, prior to their uh, shutdown as well. Uh, the first race was at Daytona. And uh, let's see here. Daytona, but is a Yeah, that's Brandon Jones. And Brandon Jones won the most recent race. 
at Phoenix over Kyle Busch, of all people. Uh, Noah Gregson won at Daytona for Junior Motorsports. And Chase Briscoe uh, won at Las Vegas for Stuart Haas, Biagi, Den Bestie, and other related people. And Harrison Burton won at California Auto Club Speedway for Joe Gibbs Racing. Kyle Busch was a pulsator at, at Phoenix, got beat by Brandon Jones. And then now we're going to Darlington on Tuesday night. The driver points, Harrison Burton went and did a show or, or, or spot with his dad. Jeff, uh, he is a points leader, three points over Chase Briscoe. And Austin Sindrick, third. Brandon Jones, fourth. Chastain, fifth. Noah Gregson, sixth. The four winners are all, or the three, yeah, the three of the, or four, yeah, one, two, three, yeah, three winners there in the top six. Ryan Sieg, Justin Haley, Justin Allgaier, Michael Annette are your top ten. Uh, Twelve drivers make the uh, playoff in the Xfinity Series. Brandon Brown is the current cutoff, four points ahead of Alex LeBay, and eight points ahead of Josh Williams. So that, and Myatt Snyder, who's running between two different cars, is in 50. So that's the Xfinity series. Now, when you consider that they've been on this layoff and basically the big-time teams, the three biggest teams in, this, in the Xfinity series all have wins this year. You have the Joe Gibbs has two wins. The the Junior Motorsports has won, and uh, uh, Stuart Haas has won. What do you look at, Josh, in terms of who to look at for Darlington in terms of the regulars of these guys that are competing for the championship? Is there anybody outside of those winners that may make a move, or do you think it's just going to be status quo, at least from what we saw earlier this year? Uh, I think probably, I mean, Justin Allgaier, possibly, uh, he might be a guy, but it's probably going to be um, him and just the same status quo that we've kind of seen this year. Maybe Daniel Hemrick, if he's going to be in the race. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, with the Xfinity series, there aren't that many drivers that are truly competitive per se that could compete for a playoff spot i basically went over it's 15 for 12 so the battle within the those smaller teams brandon brown's team versus the team the that's run by uh, mario goslin which runs a 36 in the 92 which run LeBay and josh williams and then Myatt Snyder, who's running between uh, the the Ryan Sieg team and then also with RCR. That would be interesting to see if he's able to pull it off with having to drive between two cars. That would be a really good job by Myatt Snyder if he was able to make that happen, former uh, Truck Series Rookie of the Year for Thor Sport. But I also think that you have to look at the two guys that 
I think really stood out. It was Burton and Briscoe. Burton had a very, you know, underwhelming year in the truck series with Kyle Busch in a year that was a really bad year for Kyle Busch Motorsports outside of himself and Greg Biffle. But he's, I think his driving style suits the Xfinity car much better than a truck. And he's benefited from the experience and the, the quality of equipment that they have there. Of course, when you consider that Chris Bell has been in that car the last couple of years and been doing a lot of work, it's a lot of pressure for Burton. But he, he won uh, the last, he won at California and, and he's, he's doing all right. And of course, he comes from, you know, the pedigree of his father, who was a very consistent, solid driver in Jeff Burton. I think the patience aspect is something he's going to have to learn if he wants to be able to compete for a championship. He isn't going to get to cup in 2021, so it's not a rush for him. So he doesn't have to be as, I guess, eager um, in terms of what's going to happen across a full season, in terms of what they're going to have at Darlington. You don't want to knock your fenders off in a 200-mile race at Darlington. It's a very short race, a 200 miles, but trying to race at Darlington is very difficult in general. So I would say that Chase has a good shot, Chase Briscoe. I'm curious to see what Ross Chastain and Justin Haley from the uh, the that the that team I'm I'm forgetting what the heck the the team name is now that's bad the calling racing calling racing yeah that, that team kind of struggled in a sense early in the season I think because of that expansion and um, yeah thanks for that and, uh, the they hopefully. I don't. I mean, of course, different restrictions. Maybe they've been able to put some things together, and now that Ross Chastain is back to being focused as a full Xfinity driver, I don't know if he's going to have any connections to some of the the you know back end Cup teams and running races there. But will he be able to come in? He ran well at Darlington a couple of years ago in the forty two car, almost won that race. Will he be able to finally set the set himself up and put himself in line to um, compete for this championship because a lot of people picked him as a favorite to uh, take this down. I'm also curious in Ryan Seat because he's made a big step forward with his equipment and his team, uh, what he'll be able to do because he stood out a couple of the races early in the season in terms of his performance. Will he be able to kind of maybe sneak one up on these guys with Cowboy Starlin and that whole group? possibly win a race, lock himself in. I mean, he's probably going to make the playoff anyway, but that would be a interesting uh, spinoff to uh, say the least. We'll go over to the truck series. And of course there's only been two races, two races this year in the truck series season. Uh, you know, Grant and finger one at Daytona and Kyle Busch, of course, uh, one at Las Vegas because it's Kyle Busch. I mean, that that race is a couple weeks away, but it's you know worth going and kind of examining the truck series in general 
they have the, I mean, and I think that's one thing I missed earlier uh, in terms of they've expanded the field. So I don't know what you thought uh, in terms of the expanding of the fields. Do you think that it's going to be able to allow some of these limited schedule teams, some of the teams, depending on the racetrack, of course, because certain age gaps, especially with the truck series, being able to bring some trucks out that might be a little more competitive. How do you think that's going to look in terms of maybe improving the quality of the field in the truck series relative to what we may have seen uh, prior to uh, COVID-19? Well, we might see um, maybe, yeah, definitely more quality teams that can possibly pick and choose the races that they want to enter and uh, just, you know, run on potentially like on a limited schedule, like you said. And it's also a good opportunity for, yeah, for younger drivers or drivers who, you know, still haven't um, tried to, you know, they haven't made quite the headway and maybe they can put together a string of solid races in a, maybe in a smaller team car and just show that they can at least take care of the equipment. Um, and it's definitely uh, more chances for a guy like Rick Rare, like we talked about before, to just buy up more teams and, and run them and, and uh, just collect money. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing because they've expanded the fields. If you didn't know the – NASCAR announced that they've expanded the fields to 40 in terms of, I think, for Expert Cup and Xfinity and 36 for Gander Outdoor Truck Series. And they, that in terms of being able to, or up to 40 car. Okay, so it's 40 across the board. So, the reality is forever the truck series of 30, 36 trucks. They had 25 races, 36 trucks. That's what it used to be, and there used to be deep fields where they would be sending 10, 12, 15 trucks home. Those days have kind of gone away, but I'm curious to see, you know, showing up at Charlotte, which is a close local race, first race since February, so there's been time and before COVID really kicked in to build trucks. The like Timmy Hill and his brother, they have a team and you know, like there's some other efforts. I mean, of course the point Josh, you brought up in terms of some of these start and park efforts, it'll be interesting to see what comes of these bigger entry lists. Uh, we'll talk about it more next week, of course. We'll be able to recap some of these other races. But uh, Austin Hill was a points leader after two races with Johnny Sauter second, Ben Rhodes, uh, but then Johnny Sauter's nine points back. Ben Rhodes was 22 points back, and that from third to 14th was only separated by, which is Tyler Ankrum, by 10 points. So. From third to fourteenth, there's only eight trucks that'll make the the playoff. In that, that's a real playoff. You're really having to earn it. Uh, Grand Infinger, of course, winning Daytona, he's in. He's seventh right now, but he's in. So about that, I mean, I say that 
we got to a point last year where the the guys that finished second and third in the regular season points, I think, missed the playoff or something like that. Or the yeah, I think second and third made the playoff, and then other people who were really good in points didn't. So in the truck series, they have it right in a sense. I mean, there's other things we can discuss about how the truck series lays out and what they're about, but in the end, I think we'll we'll be able to see. And I think the one thing to bring up, you know, we talk about Ryan Newman earlier. And I, I brought this up in terms of uh, something to discuss. Would Brett Moffitt broke, uh, he, he suffered a pretty serious injury riding dirt bikes. And I'm not sure if he would have been riding dirt bikes in general, uh, even during a regular schedule. Um, I guess he would have because of doing it at all. But the injuries he suffered were serious, and he had to miss time. But he has been cleared to race, and we're talking about it was February 21. You know, it'll be over three months, and he had got hurt, I think, a week or so after uh, the race at Vegas. And he was going to miss time if during a regular schedule. But because of... Uh, this whole COVID deal, he's going to be able to get back in a, in a truck. And my question is, do you, you know, Josh, do you think that for Brett Moffat, former champion, and he's fourth in points right now, uh, what do you think about his, you know, uh, chances coming back at Charlotte um, and what he's going to be able to do? And will, could it be possible that a guy, could theoretically benefit it, it, it in a way it's similar to Kyle Bush, right? In terms of getting hurt. And I mean, in terms for him, timing may have worked in his favor, but could it be possible that it could happen here in the truck series that Brett Moffitt could theoretically miss three months and jump back in a truck and possibly go and win this championship? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible, especially uh, with how the timings worked out. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he tried to figure out a way to get in contact with Kyle Busch and just uh, talk with him and see, like, how what did Kyle Busch do uh, with his recovery effort, and yeah. how did you know how was he able to get back in the car and manage? I'm sure that you know whenever Kyle Busch got back in the car, you know he's probably experiencing some level of pain, right? because um, yeah. he'd broken his legs and his feet and all that. So I wonder, like, um, what's he going to do to, you know, make sure that you know, he, he's um, not totally, like, just riding around, but I'm sure, you know, he'll be able to at least put in some solid results. And um, I, I don't know how long it'll be until he wins or if his car is uh, truly competitive where they're competing for wins and leading laps. But I definitely think that, um, he'll be at least be able to maintain a, a solid footing in the point standings. Yeah, when you consider that team, the the GMS Racing team, they're running four trucks this year, and Moffitt came close to winning the championship last year. He, he had a rough start to the year, then they 
took off in the middle of the year and there was a big letdown at the end. I think he he feels as though he left one on the table and I think everybody else who was involved in that that playoff uh, last year feels like they left one on the table. So the for him and you consider you have you have Tyler Ankrum who made the playoff last year for DGR Crosley. You have uh, other guys like, and you have uh, you have other guys in the. Uh, I'm going over here. I'm trying to go and look at. You have Zane Smith, who's going to run the tw- who's running the twenty-one. You also have Sheldon Creed, who was a solid rookie last year. He's an off-road racing guy. Robbie Gordon's protege. That team is loaded, so you'd think that you know, just based on the pro- people that he has to race with within his own team, he's going to have to show up. Uh, Zane Smith did some good runs in the eight car for Junior Motorsports. Uh, the Tyler Ankrum, of course, went to Kentucky last year for DGR Crosley, and he's a really solid shoe. Uh, you have a lot of rookies in this truck series, too. Uh, the Tate Fogelmans of the world, Raphael Lassard, Christian Eckes, both for uh, Lassard and Eckes for both Kyle Busch Motorsports, Tanner Gray for DGR Crosley, Derek Krause former um, ARCA West champion in, uh, uh, for McAnally, Ty Majeski, who's a super late model beast, and now is driving the Nice 45 truck, which is one of the best trucks in the series. They made the Final Four with Ross Chastain last year. Uh, Ty Majeski, of course, ended up on his lid at Daytona, so he's given up a lot of points. Uh early in the year, but I would assume he'd be somebody that would be chomping at the bit once they come back at Charlotte. Uh, So that'll be something to see in terms of what they bring to the table. Uh, The last big thing we're going to discuss uh, is about, you know, the issues with the turn and what may come up. Uh, I, I, that's the one thing we talked about last week, Josh, and I know that I don't really feel, I mean, I know they put out some guidelines and I think like I look at what the PGA tour is doing with their return, which is coming basically a month from now. And it seems like they have a more stringent set of guidelines that makes sense in regards to their return. And you look at the MLB and what they're trying to do for their return, which is only going to, or their start, which is going to be probably July the 4th. Um, NASCAR's taken this this lead in terms of, oh, we want to get out ahead of it. We want to benefit from the, the big, uh, you know, ratings jump and all that by getting in front of this the same way as they did with the, the e-racing. And my concern is, like, what happens with this testing deal and how they do this test? If they, I don't know what they're testing. Like, I haven't really seen what their exact plan is. 
but it's like if somebody tests positive for COVID-19, what are they really going to do? And if they get, like, if they are in the, like, they have to test, I think, before they get into the racetrack, I would hope. Um, but if they don't test until they get to the racetrack and they're there and they're working and then they get tests back in 48 hours, that means they were there at the race on Sunday and I don't know who they were around. What do they do with that? You know, like how, how do you think, what, what comes of that? If that actually happens, worst case scenario. Well, I definitely think, cause like we saw with, uh, Formula One, the one crew member on the McLaren team caught the virus and then they had to withdraw the team and then eventually they just ended up canceling that event. But we might see something similar. I think if if there was like one team, uh, they they probably have to at least um, withdraw, I think, just for the safety of the other other teams. And then potentially there, you know, it, it could cause another domino effect and then NASCAR may have to rethink everything. But I, I do remember seeing um, IndyCar. Uh, I'm trying to look at that right now. I'm trying to see, like, because I remember them talking about uh, they would actually have, like, some standards that they were going to put in place. And it was actually a very solid, like, plan that they had for reintegrating the series and, and um, restarting the season. Um, I don't know if you had seen that or not. No, you can go ahead and look at it. You go and take a yeah. minute there. I'm going to go and... Uh look at I'm going to look it up too because with NASCAR I'll go and read it's like say for through collaboration with Slater Racism you know, one day shows say for Racing Resume blah, 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 change the way for a new garage cup Garage and motor coach on between garage haulers and cars open space six feet minimum. Those spaces must remain clear. Okay, twenty haulers will be traditional balance of field will be in the motor coach lot. That must be good for them. Inspection vehicles order teams enter the garage and teams enter via unload the car and proceed to inspection. You know, so I mean, there it looks like they have guidelines itself. But it doesn't say anything about, you know, actual testing of the people that are, you know, showing up. So that in itself is, I don't see anything that says, oh, we're going to test every single person that's showing up to the racetrack. And that to me is questionable i know we talked about it last week and fundamentally that is my concern because it's fine they're gonna run they're probably gonna run this whole deal out to the end of the month where they get to that whatever 500k race at charlotte but then they haven't even gotten they haven't even talked about what's going to happen after that you know they would have been going to i don't know where the hell they have been going to uh after after it I think I guess Kansas I don't know I think Kansas was the next race they would have been running but they haven't discussed what they're going to do after uh, Charlotte because they're trying to figure out a way to get flights and be able to send people on flights to 
places that aren't chartered. And when you consider some of the things we've seen uh, where regular flights are completely packed, I would truly question what, you know, sending pit members and whoever, like big team members, on a regular flight to, you know, insert place here. I don't think that that's a very logical strategy. Um, but then some people would go and say that I'm being, you know, overly dramatic. And quite frankly, I'd say, go fuck yourself. Um, I would go and look at it the same way as like, I, I give, you have places like the IndyCar series, like what you're talking about, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, of course, Roger Penske owns Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He has, they're putting plans in place to run the Indianapolis 500. Of course, the Indianapolis 500 now has been moved to August. They're not even going to run it in a couple of weeks the way it would have been. They would have been preparing for qualifying this weekend. That's not going to happen. But it seems like what you said, they have they have a plan in place. And I would assume what they're doing for Indy, because the point is the IndyCar series and India, it's all one entity. They have a plan in place to get started at Texas in a few weeks. And maybe we'll see what comes on with that. But I I don't know. I mean, it, like I look at, like we, we talked about it with these pit stops and whatever. I, I don't, they haven't announced what Xfinity and the trucks are going to do. But I look at what they used to do with the trucks. And I, I, I think they, you probably did back way back when, when I was a baby, they probably had racetracks where they couldn't pit or they couldn't actually have live pit stops. I'm thinking that they're going to be going to like a halftime break or some sort of thing where they're going to have like the freeze, the field, like they're going to do that modified competition yellow thing on the Xfinity and the truck side for every fuel stop. And my, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but what would, do, do you think that's what they're going to do? Especially, I don't know as much about the cup side. I think the cup deal, they're going to want to have live pit stops because the fans, of course, and I did that in air quotes. But do you think they're going to trial balloon like, modified competition yellows in Xfinity and trucks to where they're just going to limit that? Do you believe that would be an opportunity or an idea? I mean, it's definitely possible. And I guess, you know, there's probably history with that. Because, you know, remember back in 2016, we had the, the caution clock, the infamous uh, rule that yeah. they put in place for the trucks where, you know, it was like they, uh, the caution would come out after, like, I don't even remember the time. It was like 20 minutes or whatever. 20 minutes, yeah. Or it was like 20 minutes or however many certain laps. And I don't remember if you know they still had green flag pit stops or not. Well, they still had live pit stops, but they may end up going to like a, a format similar to that. But then they would they would just stop uh, the race entirely and, the, and let the teams do um, uh, some sort of pit stop uh, without, um, you know, uh, 
without it occurring uh, during during live uh, conditions, I guess you could say. And you know, the other thing is, is maybe we'll start to see teams reduce the amount of pit crews they need if they went to such a format. Maybe like um, a multi-car team instead of having like, for example, like GMS racing in the trucks or or Gibbs in the uh, Xfinity series. Maybe they'll just have like two uh, two teams have a pit crew instead of having four separate uh, pit crews for each car, and then they would just uh, take shifts whenever the, um, the pit cycle uh, is supposed to take place. That might be a possibility. I think. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's something I, I really think that they're probably going to R and D some sort of idea in terms of pitting vehicles here with Xfinity and trucks because they haven't announced anything yet and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And when you consider Xfinity and trucks generally in some cases share cup pit crews, and it's probably something that they have to look at. Uh, we have Sonia here on the live chat. Uh, I wanted to go and uh, hit you up. I just saw that. Uh, do you have anything to uh, add in terms of what you've heard so far? I guess not. Uh, so the last thing I was going to say and go over was the reliability, you know, and they've had a couple months off and away. I don't know what the teams have really been doing or what kind of access or what they've been able to do. But, uh, like I put it off and, you know, we kind of discussed it offline. Like, is there a possibility of there being a little bit more in terms of mechanical issues, in terms of some of the the issues that used to exist uh, in Cup Cup Series racing and Xfinity and trucks, where you know a blown engine might happen or some of the other things might happen relative to what used to happen in old races? Do you think that's a possibility, or what? Do, what do you? expect in terms of that we might see mechanical failures maybe in the first couple of races potentially because they haven't you know they haven't been working on the cars for two months and they've probably only been working on it like maybe very recently within the last uh week or two i suppose but maybe like after this first three races uh, of this uh seven race schedule that they're going to um, do in cup at least maybe uh after the third race the, they'll start to see maybe like a uh correction i guess you could say or normalization where uh if if there were mechanical failures we would probably just see it go back to uh, more of a normal rate that they've had the last several years where we have we don't really see that too much but maybe in the first race you could see a bunch of teams having problems and and things like that, but it would only be because they hadn't been around for two months. Yeah, I, I it I'm curious because Darlington is definitely uh, Darlington and Charlotte are both because you're talking about the 600 are two of the most difficult races in terms of 
reliability. So they're they're talking about four races in eleven days, where you're you're the the ability to make a really strong, durable car. Uh, maybe it goes back to what it used to be when it you know for me is talking about you know 20 something years ago you know like 28 years ago when it was an endurance race like you're actually having them to nurse these things home uh, maybe that comes back into play that might actually improve the product on the racetrack but uh, I, I'm hoping that that does come into play because it's kind of there's a there's a lot of homogenization that has come along and with some of the announcements that are coming along in terms of the Gen 7, it's more homogenized. I think this this situation that NASCAR has within the COVID-19 is an opportunity that if they can utilize it in, a, in the right way and provide a good product, they're not going to get back to early 2000s level but they could actually develop an, some new fans and provide and if they could provide a good product they could really get people back into this sport and it's something they need and it's something as a motorsports and a racing fan in general I would love to see I know you would say the same Josh uh, but you know this is an opportunity and this is a place where none of the major sports are on don't like i'm i'm just going to i'm going to keep it simple with nascar i don't trust them to do this properly but but, but here's the thing don't f this up you're 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 front and center you're coming off like there's going to be a a two there's going to be a foursome freaking golf thing prior to you coming on at 3.30 in the afternoon. And you're going to be from like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be you and golf. And I'm a golf fan. But the fact of the matter is most people aren't there for the golf. They're going for your racing. You better put a good product out there. And if you don't, it doesn't matter that you're going to have three races in in ten days. You've lost the captive audience, and it's similar to what has gone on with this e-racing thing too. I mean, I I would figure most of these assholes that work at NASCAR don't listen to me, and that's part of the problem because they're not listening to real fans. But that's the thing. You need to listen to real fans. You need to listen to people that's been watching back in the day. You need to listen to people that understand a sport. You need to listen to people who actually know what this sport was built on. And if you don't, that's a reason why your sport's dying, no matter how many freaking entitlements that exist. With that, I'm going to close this thing out. Josh, do you have anything uh, going out? Um, you know, just... Looking forward to seeing racing again. It's been too long, and um, you know, for people who play fantasy sports or or if they do gambling, you know, it's going to be something that they can uh, put put their money on or make their picks or whatever. 
So it's going to be really exciting to at least have something to look forward to this weekend. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they have they had the e-races, at least for NASCAR, on the gambling. And uh, they had fantasy games for the IndyCar and NASCAR. Uh, IndyCar off betting and NASCAR with betting. So for me, that's nice. And now I can put some money on a real deal. That'll be cool. And uh, it'll be nice to see the real thing again. I'm glad to be able to say that Ryan Newman and Matt Kenseth will be back out on the racetrack again. And uh, hopefully we'll see a good show. With that, I'm Phil. He's Josh. Grip Strip Podcast. Go and hit us up on Podbean. We're on uh, Twitter, and we'll share it on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we'll be back next week to go over what we saw so far with NASCAR's return. God bless. Be safe. And good night.